It's the 8th of April and I have just watched the PSG Bayern Munich highlights and I am unbelievably happy and excited for Pochettino who deserves everything great that happens to him and for him and in Mbappe he has if not already the biggest difference maker in the Champions League then one of and the next few years the level he's going to be at is just ridiculous. Uh, this is a really good conversation with Carl Beckford. Carl is a friend and my boss at times and it was really interesting hearing about his journey into football, something that I didn't really know much about before this conversation um, and we get into education and where he's at with Team Kickstart now. Um, Carl, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, enjoy! What are the frame pictures you've got up? Uh, this is this is like my little office area, which is like a it's really a big a big hallway. Um, that's my my debut shirt, um, and this is actually Lauren's shirt that she wore in the Prem final against um, Harlequins when they won the Prem. So um, that shirt obviously means a lot to her, and uh, this shirt means a lot to me. If you can see my shirt, the number. So the, this was actually a number two shirt, but I signed the day before deadline day. Um, and um, they didn't have a, a 27 shirt, so they put a Premier League seven onto it. So it's a little bit, it's a little, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit wonky. But yeah, no, that shirt means that shirt means a lot to me. I scored them that day as well, so that's the photos of me uh, celebrating and stuff. So um, yeah, can you see the photo? I'm not sure if you can see this photo. As yeah, well. yeah, that's with uh, me, Lloyd, Sam, and Osei Sankofa, so two of my best friends. Um, in the, I think it was that's at Old Trafford, but I think it was the um, the FA Youth Cup semi final. So yeah, those were those were special times. Yeah, I was going to ask, what are like some of your your best memories from your playing career? Um, man, the best memories for from my playing career are all memories from um, playing with my friends. Um, so really, my my younger years, I think, um, and when I say friends, I I mean um, friends that you have like a meaningful relationship with because the vast majority of my teammates I've played for probably about 10 or so clubs the vast majority of my teammates I've considered them friends but not all of them have I had like meaningful relationships with um so um, I'm thinking of one when I was at Aldershot um, I had a had a real meaningful relationship with a player called Johnny Dixon who me and him used to play out front together and we we, we literally um or like Batman and um, Batman and Robin, we, we we didn't leave each other's side, um, but unfortunately, for for whatever reason, we've kind of um, grown apart or or not managed to uh, stay in contact with each other. But those two, those two that I that I mentioned, Lloyd and Osse, um, I, I I was um, playing with them from 14, 15 up until about twenty when I left Charlton, and those were the those were the days where we just had so much fun. Um, not only because we we had a really really good team. Um, but because the relationships that we that we managed to build were were, were really meaningful, and whenever you're doing um, stuff with your friends, it's always it's always more more exciting. So yeah, I'd probably say the um, the most fun time, if you want to use if I want to use that word, was was at Cholton with um, with my friends who I who I grew up with and who I'm still in contact with now. So that makes it even more meaningful. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what's that's what's so special about team sports, right? Is that the, the the connections that you make with people over however long you might play with them for six months, you might play with them for ten years. There's the potential to really, really build relationships that last for, for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, it doesn't always work out that way. There are there are, there are many stories of um, 
you, you got the story of Andy Cole and Teddy Sheridan who um, done some fantastic things together but hated each other. Um, so I don't think in order to achieve, you have to be um, you have to be best friends, but there has to be a a, a level of um, for, for for one and for sure understanding um, and to a, a level of respect. Um, but team sports, um, the vast majority of the time, it does fantastic things for for people, um, brings out social skills, um, enables you to, like I said before, develop meaningful relationships. So um, team sports for me. Um, have been have been fantastic. How do you think you develop that understanding and respect? A level of um, understanding that everyone has a everyone has a role to play, um, whether you're the best player on the team or considered the best player on the team or have the most ability on the team, um, or whether you're a player who um, brings a lot of work rate and, and energy to the team, uh, whether you're a, a big talker. Um, I think you all have to have a a level of respect for what what everyone brings to the table um and once you um, can build on that understanding and that respect then that's when you can really start to sort of gel as a team mm. what's your earliest memory of organized football as a player um my earliest memory of organized football was probably it must have been about nine or so I played for a team called Athenley. So me and um, Anton, <clears throat> me and Anton Ferdinand played for um, a team called Athenley, which is based in um, Peckham Rye. And our manager's name was Kenny. I, I don't even know why I remember. Maybe I remember because his son's name was Kenny and me and his son used to play in midfield together. But um, for some reason, uh, and I ha again, I have no, no uh, reason why, because I was uh, at that age, I was actually quite intelligent, but and before before matches, we used to have to fill out a, um, a form of who we were, like a sort of player ID card. And the manager, Kenny, would always come to me and like say K-A-R-L, like and help me spell my name out for some reason. I, in my mind, I was like, I know how to, I know how to spell my name. Um, I don't know, maybe someone told him I had some type of um, some type of um learning needs or something but I, I really didn't know how to spell my name and I could just, that's just always stuck in my mind but before every game he would come and spell my name out for me so um yeah Athenley um it was either on the nines or on the tens is probably my earliest memory of um of organized sport but we had some we had some good times how, how long did you, you play with that team for not long at all um probably about probably about a year or so um, and the reason being was because um there was an adventure playground which was about five minutes from my house and um called Leighton square and they decided to start a team um so i i left um i left Athenley, and at that time anton left as well to go to west ham at that age anyway it's just like all you want to do is play with your friends and if your friends are good and you're good then it's even better but just like even if you're playing yeah. with your friends and you're losing all the time you'll take it yeah to be fair i i i probably um I still am, and I and I and I was then like really competitive. Um, it brings um, a good side to me, and I'm in in a way I'm really happy that I, I've, I've always had this competitive nature. But it can also be um, it can also be detrimental as well because sometimes it can suck the enjoyment out of something um, when things aren't when things aren't going your way. Um, but yeah, playing with playing with your friends at eight or nine just just brings um, a level of enjoyment that is is impossible to reach without them. Yeah. How, how old were you when you realised, like, 
I'm a, I'm good at football and I could I'm going to do this like properly. To be honest, I've kind of like always been, it's a little bit difficult because when I was at primary school, I was the best in primary school, like by far. There was no one who was, who was kind of, um, would even say they were as good as me. And we're like seven, eight, nine year olds. You say you're better than anyone when, you, when you're that age, don't you? Um, and um, then obviously I joined Athenley and there were some players who were kind of, oh, hang on a minute. There are some players who actually might be as like, as good as me or at least give me like a run for my money um and then you get a little bit older and then you go to secondary school and you've gone from being in a a year group of 60 children to go into a year group of like 300 children so um the level of um of ability the pool um widens i guess so then there are some other players who you think hang on a minute these players actually are, are as good as me um but even seeing players who were who, who were ahead of me at that time I think that just pushed me a little bit more to work to work even harder so for us to answer the question for as long as I can remember I've, I've wanted to be a football player um of course that's a dream of many young children and I think that um when I was probably about only about 14 or 15 did I actually feel like you know what hang on a minute maybe I maybe I I can actually make it or maybe that's the first time I really asked myself the question I think when you're coming towards a time where you're at a club and they're thinking about giving you a scholarship, um, when, I, when that was in mind, that's when I realised, hang on a minute, this is enjoyment, but this is also something that I could potentially um, form, a, form a career out of. Um, so I answer that in the sense that I've always wanted to be a football player, but when it was like consciously on my mind and um, when I made like real strides to try and... Um, dedicate my whole life to it. it was probably about 14 or 14 or 15. If you think about the environment you were in what allowed you to develop into like the the, the player and the person I guess that that you became? It's a difficult question because I'm a, I'm a firm believer of like environment is everything and and put people in the right environment then they can they have the potential to reach their um, to reach their potential um, but I think just going and playing football or Again, I have to separate 14 and 15 from 16 to 18 because they're in, in my career, uh, 14 and 15, I was still going to school, training. I think back then it was like twice a week and playing matches on a weekend. Um, and the environment then wasn't, I, I was at Charlton at the time, and the environment then actually wasn't fantastic in the sense that um, everyone who I went to play with at that time at Charlton didn't look like me. Um, it was um, our training ground was in was in New Eltham, and that was a at the time Charlton hadn't um, really um, widened their scouting um, network to move anywhere out of sort of maybe like a, a five or maybe six uh, six mile radius of the area. So the, the majority of people there were uh, were white, and um, the majority of people who children who who, who were signed for the club. Their dads brought them to, to football, um, where I was traveling by myself to football, traveling home by myself in an area that was um, obviously well known for um, how racist it, it, it was. Um, so the environment actually wasn't fantastic. I would get two or three buses. Um, within that time, I, I lived in Peckham, so I had to go through a place called New Cross, which was 
for some reason, people from New Cross hate people from Peckham. So it was a little bit of an issue for me to get to, to get through and navigate my way through that area. And then once I've navigated my way through um, New Cross, I had to go into a place called, obviously, as, as I just mentioned, Elton, which brought different um, difficulty. So before I'd, I've, I've been traveling for about an hour or so, and before I'd even got to training, I had to deal with all of these crazy things that a 14 or 15 year old probably shouldn't have to, shouldn't have to deal with. Um, and then being at training, um, feeling like my, my manager at the time, who don't get it wrong, his name's Carl Larriman. He's a fantastic um, technical manager, but I didn't feel like he had a he had an understanding or a relationship with me and who I was. Um, then I guess around around fifteen or so, um, I got a good relationship with Osse. Um, Lloyd came into the club, um, and then I started to build like really good relationships with them. So. Uh, the environment um, started to change for me. Uh, when I went full time, it was sort of like a different, a, a different story in the sense that there were um, lots of people who I felt I could connect with. Um, my manager at the time was a, a, um, a player, well, an ex-player called Mark Robinson. Uh, Mark Robson, sorry, um, and the academy director was uh, Mick Brown, and Mick Brown was a an ex head teacher who really created that discipline side. Um, but he had a real connection with um, with young black boys because um, because of the area that he was a, a head teacher in. I'm not going to um, pretend like I didn't have a fantastic time from, say, 13, 14, 15. Um, it was just um, a lot more difficult for me to uh, feel comfortable. And because I didn't feel 100% comfortable, it was a little bit more difficult for me to express myself fully. Um, so I was probably playing to like 70% of my um, to my of, to my potential. Um, maybe around 15 or so, I, um, I started to build some really, really good relationships with um, with Osse and, and and Lloyd came. Who Osse was there before me actually, but we, of course, I was new, so we wasn't we wasn't super close. Um, I started to build some really, really good relationships with with the two of them and a few others, um, and then I started to feel a little bit more comfortable and um, was able to express myself a little bit more. But the jump in or the change in um, training twice a week after school to going in and playing full time, um, I was just a lot. I was just a lot happier. Um, quite, and I think it helped that quite a lot of us got a YTS. Generally, the year before us, there was four people who got YTS. My year, twelve of us got a got a contract, which was a lot. Um, which meant there was lots of competition, but it also meant that we was um, in an environment where there was twelve of us. Um, who were playing at the right age, where potentially we might have been playing some other, uh, let's just say, for instance, we're playing Man United and Man United have got better players than us, maybe. Um, but there's only five or six of them who are actually the right age. And then the other six or seven are, are, are younger. So we was quite a really, we was a strong team, not only because we had uh, lots of um, good players, but because we had players who were playing at the right age group. So training every day really, really suited me. Um, at that time, I um, Jason Yu just joined the club as well. And, and I've known Jason Yu uh, since I was seven or eight. So um, we both came in at the same time and made each other uh, feel comfortable. It was good having a, a senior pro to kind of look up to and take me on the under his wing. Um, I was Chris Powell and Scott Parker's boot boys. So... Um, I managed to build really, really good relationships with them. At that time, Chris Powell was almost like the uncle. Like he was our older uncle who used to really like give us um, good information and look after us. 
So Scott Parker played in centre midfield, someone who I looked up to. So I was really privileged to be able to go and get his boots and maybe chat to him for five or 10 minutes. Um, and he could really pass some real gems um, onto me in terms of working as hard as I can and not being afraid to uh, reach my potential, not being afraid to make mistakes. So I really, really in, in enjoyed that environment. So the changeover for me wasn't wasn't difficult, whereas maybe for others it it might have been difficult. And I think my performances, um, the fact that I was really, really comfortable, my performances um, got better in turn. Could you explain a little bit about maybe what y, what a YTS means and maybe some of the 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 drop off maybe for players who don't manage to get to that level and what kind of happens to them? Mm. Um, I don't know the the, the actual um, stats or, or anything like that, but I mean I can only talk from um, my experiences in terms of we're talking. I'm 35 now, so we're talking like 17 years ago. I'm sure things have changed. Um, but generally, you're, you're playing from 13 to 15 to try and uh, gain a scholarship. And um, again, there was 12 of us who got a scholarship, but there was maybe like four or five who didn't. Um, at that time, it was really a conversation. Um, everyone goes into the office, conversation. Yes, you've got a scholarship. No, you haven't got a scholarship. The children who, or the young people who didn't get a scholarship, I doubt they ever heard from the club again. That was probably the last time they spoke um, to the club. I know now there is some type of exit strategy, um, but back then there was no exit strategy. You either make, a, you either get a scholarship or you don't. Um, those children, those young people who don't get a scholarship, I guess they're, they're, they might go back to playing Sunday league football and try and climb the ladder again. Or if they um, are lucky enough to have an, have an agent or have someone who looks after them, who has links at other clubs, they might go straight onto, straight onto different trials. Um, there was a player called Ricky Shakes who didn't get a scholarship at Charlton. He then went on to, I believe he went back to Sunday League Football, but then he managed to get um, a scholarship at Bolton and made his debut before anyone in our age group made their debut. So it's not the end of the road, but for the vast majority of people, it is the end of the road. And it's almost like the club um, washes their hands of you and never to be seen again. Um, those lucky enough to get a scholarship uh, means that you're just playing full-time football, um, where the vast majority of people, when they leave secondary school, they then go on to potentially go to college or some people go straight into work. Um, we left school in May or whenever it was and we started playing football full-time in July. Uh, we trained four times a week uh, and on a Thursday we went to college, uh, went to Bromley College. Um, to study uh, but that study was really a token if if you were training with the first team which I was a lot you just you, you didn't go to you didn't go to college you had to train with the you had to train with the first team and, and, and kind of make that um, study time up in your in your own time so yeah that's that's basically the, the difference between getting a scholarship and not getting a scholarship you get paid um, maybe at that time I think it was something like 125 pound a week um, and your parents get money too uh, for, for for looking after you. So I can't remember how much that was, but it was a, it was a decent amount. Your travel gets paid for. Um, so yeah, it's almost like a mini full time job, but you're doing something that you absolutely love. Uh, I played some preseason friendlies. Um, uh, I travelled um, on some Premier League squads uh, where you're called a 19th man, I believe. Uh, so if anyone gets injured, then you then you come onto the bench. 
Um, so everyone's journey was different. Everyone's journey was um, was a difficult journey. And at that time, Charlton had a lot of players, like a big, massive squad of senior players. So we had players like Chris Bart Williams, um, Sean Bartlett, Kevin Lisby, um, all these like big players, premiership players who have played lots and lots of games, uh, playing reserve football with us, like almost week in, week out. Um, Jonathan Johansson at the time, uh, Svensson, like loads of these players who um, potentially if they were at other club, they would be in the squad every single week. But Charlton's squad was so big that we had um, a lot of a lot of these first team players who were playing reserve team football. So it was difficult to make that squad. Uh, to add to that, um, Alan Kerbishley is um, sort of uh, renowned and known for uh, buying a lot of uh, well-known players who are 25, 26 and kind of neglecting youth. So someone like Scott Parker, who is undoubtedly probably the best player who's, who's come through um, at Joel. And I don't think he was a regular until he was like 21, 22. Um, so it was, it, was, it was really difficult. But from my first day uh, being full-time to my first time training with the first team was probably about four or five months. Um, I can't entirely remember why I went over there, but it probably had something to do with them needing a midfielder rather than me, them saying, let's have Carl Beckford. It will be Mark Robson, Curbs will say to Mark Robson, I need a midfielder. And then Mark Robson will say, okay, well, um, Carl's been doing really, really well, take him. I went and trained with the first team. So the first few times, it's what the first team need rather than how well you've been doing. You're, you're big on environments and how important an environment is to get the most out of you. What was good about mm -hmm. the environment you were in with Charlton at that point that allowed you to develop? Um, I think I spoke about it previously, but we had um, Mark Robson, who created a fantastic, fun environment, whatever fun looks like um, for... For, for young people, it was really, really fun for me. Uh, training was always enjoyable. He always had a smile on his face. Sometimes he would join in. And although he was, must have been like 38, 39, um, and really, really slow, his technical attributes were fantastic. So he always made, um, if he wanted to do a demonstration, he could do it better than any of the players. Um, and that helped me to look up to him. Was that the first time that you felt like you were you were, were going somewhere? I, I never forget. I was the first year. Uh, I was the first year. Mark Robson maybe asked a question to to, to all of us. So um, I was I, I got a late birthday, so I must have been sixteen. And a lot of the time, sixteen to nineteen, you train together. Um, and there were maybe about twenty or thirty players there at the time. And Mark Robson said so. Hmm which one of you feels like you could go and play for the first team now? And there's only two people who put their hand up. It was me and another boy called Jamie Martin. We both put our hands up. And at that time, we was literally, the, the two of us, this was right before Jamie got an injury, um, but the two of us were, were, were on fire at the time. And um, thinking back, was I good enough to play first team then? I'm not 100% sure. Um, did I feel like I could at that time? A million percent, a hundred percent. So. Um, yeah, probably, probably from two or three months into the into the full time system, I, I was thinking, you know what? I've seen these first team um, players just sit down and watch them train, and I'm, I'm better than some of them right now. So I, I really deserve my chance.
you said you didn't make a match day squad for for Charlton. What what did the process of you moving on look like? Um, well, I got a, I got I was there for three years um, until I was nineteen, and end of the end of the year, probably not even end of the year, maybe like February time. Uh, your contract's up in May, February time. They all the people whose contract was up, you literally wait downstairs until they call you up. Um, Kerbishly in the office with with Mick Brown. Um, I never forget this moment because Mick, again, I had a really really good relationship with Mick Brown. Um, I was actually Kerbishly's boot boy as well, but I got um, I got sacked from 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 cleaning his boots because I never used to clean them. It actually wasn't my fault. I, I guess it was my fault, but it was it was really because I would go up to his office um, and I would knock on the door and he would look and see me there and he would kind of get on with what it was he was doing. So I'm almost like, you've seen me here. Do you want me to just open the door and get your boots or shall I wait until you say come in? So after like two or three weeks of that, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go upstairs, I'm going to knock on the door. He's going to look at me. I'm going to wait there for half an hour and then he might come out. So I just, I just after two or three weeks, I just didn't go out there anymore. So someone else got, got, got put on to doing his boots. Um, anyway, so I go into the office. Uh, Mick Brown had his head down. He didn't look at me once. Um, never ever forget, uh, and I and I think that comes from uh, a place of him one feeling embarrassed that I was going to be uh, maybe embarrassed isn't the best word um, feeling like I'd been hard done by by not getting another contract um, and two just because it probably hurt him not as much as it hurt me but it, it hurt him a lot that he. Um, played a part in, in, in me not in me not getting another contract. Um, but Curbs sat me down, spoke to me, uh, went through my strengths, uh, went through what he thought that I needed to work on. Um, and he said to me, we're, we're not gonna um, extend your contract. Uh, the reason being is because we don't feel like you can um, add value to the first team right now. But we do feel like if we kept you here for two or three years, we'll be holding you back. We feel that you're ready to go and play in the first team elsewhere. Um, so there was, there was, um, at that time, I really wish I would have said, okay, can you help me to get a club? I really wish I would have, I would have said that at that time. Um, because if that's something that you really, really feel, then surely you have the power to then pick up the phone and call some other manager and say, look, listen, we got this player. We really think he could play for you. Take a punt on him. And that manager probably would have just taken your word for it and given me a contract instead of me now having to go and find a club for myself and, three four months of real 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 hard work and um lots of um anxieties around am i going to get another club to the to the level that i feel i deserve so that was kind of the the process and then you you go downstairs the the, the pros are there waiting for you to ask okay did you, did you get another contract so you have to say no and then you get some people saying that's just ridiculous how have you not got a contract you just never know whether it's um, a sincere reaction or whether they just say that to everybody else. So then you you go home and then you're literally, you come back to training the next day because you still got three months left on your contract. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, um, that's kind of the, um, the situation that I, that I remember or the way it happens in, the way it happened in my eyes, should I say. And what was your, what was your thinking going into sessions for those last three months? Like how did you approach them? Um, it was really strange because 
there was a, a, a coach called um, Glenn Snodding, who was the reserve team manager. Um, and there was almost like three type of squads. There was your age group who you trained with on the 17s, 18s, 19s, whatever it was. Then I guess now they call it the 23s. Um, but at that time, they call it the reserves. Um, there was like a reserve squad where sometimes the first team players like the Kevin Lisby, sometimes they will come and train if we're doing some match preparation. Um, but um, often it was players like myself, people who were too good enough to play 18, too good to play 18s, um, but weren't quite considered as a, as a, as a first team player yet. Um, and then there was the, the, the third and I guess what everyone's trying to uh trying to um, achieve is playing for the first team. So those three squads I was in at that time, I was 18, I was in the reserve squad. And maybe before Christmas, Snod said to me, um, Carl, I'm going to go and speak to Curbs and I'm going to let him know that I think you should be training with um, the first team squad every single day. Um, don't get me wrong, the reserve team squad and the first team squad trained together the majority of times, but there was times where the reserves trained by themselves, but he was really saying to me, Carl, um, I'm going to get you out of this squad because you deserve to be training um, with the other ones every single day. And then a month later, I was released. So it was like real, real crazy to me. So I now have to go back into an environment where um, this manager has kind of promised that he's going to speak to the first team manager about getting me out of that reserve squad and, and, and making me train with the first team squad. Um, at the time, I, I felt let down by, by a few people. Um, but ultimately, Snods wasn't the person making the decision. Uh, Mark Robson wasn't the person making the decision. Mick Brown wasn't the person making the decision. They probably had five, ten percent input, whereas seventy percent of the input came from came from Curb. So I couldn't hold it against them too much. Um, maybe felt sorry for myself for a week or so, but then after that, you just go. You're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for anybody else. Me sulking and um, not training as hard as I as hard as I should be is only gonna um, it's not going to benefit me. So get your head back down and just work as hard as you can because opportunities and other doors will open. And if you're not ready, it's going to harm you. Mm -hmm. And what, what happened next? Where did you go next? Um, there's this there's this thing called um, I, I spoke to um, I spoke previously about an exit strategy in terms of the the 15s. And by this time, there was actually an exit strategy for players who were 18 and 19 and and, and didn't get a another contract and the exit strategy was that there's this thing called exit trials so all of the players from every single premiership club go to um go away for the weekend and you just play six or seven matches over the weekend um no it was two matches we had some training sessions you play two matches over the weekend where scouts from all over the world come and watch the matches uh, so i went away to exit trials um played okay i was a centre midfielder but i was playing on the wing um done all right done all right probably a probably a seven uh in terms of if i was giving myself a a rating and i got cardiff um swindon um gillingham and four or five other clubs um who wanted to, uh, some say they want to sign you straight away. Some say you come in for a trial, we will look at you um, more. And then I think I had about 10 or 11 um, opportunities to go out to America and go on their uh, uni scheme, uh, which is something that I looked into a lot. But again, from 17, I thought I was ready to play first team football. So I thought, let me, didn't know too much about it. Well, 
switch countries and, and go and live in America. So I kind of um, put that to the side and um, spoke to a few agents and there was, um, I, I wanted to go to Cardiff, but then there was an agent who kind of, I wouldn't say forced me, but he kind of coerced me into um, going to Leighton Orient. And I actually really didn't want to go, if I'm being completely honest. Um, there was talks of Leighton Orient, of me going on loan to Leighton Orient when I was at Cholton. So um, I thought, okay, well, they wanted me on loan. So I guess if I go to Leighton Orient, they're just going to sign me straight away. Um, so I went and had a conversation with them and they didn't want to sign me straight away. They wanted me to come on trial. Um, and I really had a conversation with the manager and I said, um, I think with Martin Ling, I believe, I said, just like three, four months ago, you wanted to take me on loan. Um, and now you're telling me I, I have to come on trial. Um, if I have to go on trial, then I'd rather go on trial. Like, no disrespect to a premiership club or to maybe a championship club. You guys are in, in League Two. I'm not saying I'm better than this level because I haven't got a club right now, but I prefer to set my sight, my, my height, um, set my aspirations a little bit higher and then potentially if nothing happens and I'll, I'll come back to you. So I didn't even go on, I didn't even go on trial, um, which meant that I missed my opportunity to go to Swindon at the time, which is where I really wanted to go to um, because they had signed someone in my, in my delay of me going there, they had already signed someone. Um, so um, my agent at the time was a manager of a club called um, Lewis who were playing in the conference at the time, even a conference south of the conference. Um, and then, um, no, tell a lie. Before I went there, I actually went to Gillingham. Actually, it was, it, I was thinking I went to Gillingham after Lewis, but no, I went to Gillingham first um, when Hessen Tyler was the manager. Um, and I was, I was there, I was literally the best trainer every single day. Every single day I was the best trainer. I was still on trial um, and I was there for like a month and the manager still not called me into his office. It was just a crazy situation like where I'm training the best every single day and you've still not said that you want to sign me. Um, and then I played in a reserve match and pulled my hamstring, which was a little bit of a nightmare. So I was out for six weeks. To be fair to them, they gave me all the treatment, of course, free of charge, blah, 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 blah. Um, Hessen Tyler got sacked. Another manager came in. I can't even remember his name. Um, and I was on a pay-as-you-play contract. Um, I didn't play, so I didn't get paid. Um, so I left um, at the end of the year. And then my old agent was the manager of Lewis. Um, I went to Lewis, um, played a season there, had a fantastic season, scored 28 goals from midfield in the league. Um, was hoping to get a better move than the move I got, um, but I, I got a move to, to Aldershot, which is um, my shirt up there. Um, and that's why that shirt means so much to me because it is my it was my first um i guess competitive game in men's full-time football um was at all the shot uh for a year or two played i think about 50 or 60 games manager got sacked went to afc wimbledon the manager the manager took me with him um and then i was at afc wimbledon for a couple of years and then um moved into AFC Wimbledon at the time were, were semi-pro so they were part-time football so I moved from full-time football at all the shot to uh, part-time football at, at AFC Wimbledon um, and then from there I've, I've, I've just played I played semi-pro football from the age of must have been 23 at the time so fell out of full-time football at 23 so yeah that's kind of a, a, 
a, a quick synopsis of my uh, of my career from up to twenty three. Long and story. It's a good story. What mm. what I can never what I can I can understand it, but I'm always uh, surprised by. I guess is how how often it seems like a manager leaves and then a player gets and then that's opportunity gone disappeared or a manager leaves and they take a player and then mm. it, and then it happens somewhere else and i can understand it because a manager has things that they value maybe in terms of like attributes and then also i guess a, a playing style but it seems to me there that there's like a disconnect between the player and the club like the mm. impact that a club has and it's a club that's brought you in and is yeah paying you or paying you or in, in whatever case but how how is it that a manager has such a big impact outside of you know when when the manager themselves are employed in hindsight i i, I probably should have stayed at at aldershot um but i really did the assistant manager took over and i i, I, I doubt he'll hear the interview so i've i'll say i really didn't like him um, his name was Martin Cool, and he was like a really aggressive kind of Jack the Lad type of person who um, would scream and shout. And I just couldn't see myself playing for him for for however long they wanted me to sign for at the time. So um, Terry Brown was the manager um, who got sacked and went to AFC Wimbledon. I had a good relationship with him. He brought me in. Um, he was um, he was a nice person. Um, a decent manager, not fantastic, but he was a decent manager. So I thought to myself, Do you know what? My happiness means more to me right now than a level that than a level that I'm I'm playing at, and I believe I'm good enough to go back down and then potentially potentially go up again. Um, so, so so I did, but again, in in hindsight, I probably I probably shouldn't have left. Um, but again, going back to environment being everything, football players are. Um, are, are seen as um, kind of these strong characters, but a lot of the time there's loads of insecurities and um, environment means a lot. Being happy means a lot. Waking up and going into an environment where you feel uh, wanted and where people really, really want you there and they value you, uh, that's really, really important. So when you have that and then the change happens quickly where you haven't got that, your performance levels are bound to dip. Um, and, and and I've seen that I've seen that happen a lot. Only the real strong-minded um, players can be in an environment that they dislike and still continue to uh, perform at the level that they would be if the environment was rich for them. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a tough one, but it happens, doesn't it? It happens in a workplace. Um, it happens to young children when they their parents decide to move areas and they're now thrown into a into a into a new school with new children um it happens it's, it's, it's part of life ultimately you have to uh, navigate your way um through through it all and still try to uh, perform to the best of your ability when did you know that you you wanted to start coaching or at least try it um i feel like i've always been a coach from a young age um not gonna obviously i'm not talking seven or eight but like 11 or 12 I was always a leader um, in the sense that if me and my friends went to a park to play football 
I would always be the person who says, let's do this. It probably didn't look like the coaching sessions or, or, or the lessons that I put on now, but it would always be, I would always have ideas all right, well, yeah, here's what we can do. There's seven of us or there's eight of us. Uh, here's what we can do. Let's do this type of session. Let's do a, a shooting session. So um, looking back on it, I, I've always I've always had that in me. Um, it was like an, an, an innate skill that I had. Um, but in terms of in, in terms of being a coach, um, probably when I left Aldershot and went to AFC Wimbledon because I'm now just got so much time on my hands. I've gone from training every single day. Um, it was it was I probably used to leave my house at eight and get back at one. Now I realise how lucky I was to only have to to get paid however much I got paid and leave my house at eight and get back at one and have the whole day to my to myself. But I told myself I'm tired. I can't do anything else. I need to rest. Um, whereas when I went to AFC Wimbledon, we trained on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening and we had matches on a Saturday and I'm getting paid enough to not do anything else um but I just had lots of time in my hands so I thought you know what maybe let me um see if I can if I can um do some coaching and I had already had my coaching qualifications because we were um forced to do it I wouldn't say not saying forced in in, in a bad way with all the negative connotations but there was a uh, that was part of our scholarship to get your coaching badges, which of course is a is a fantastic thing. So I'd I already had everything in place for me to go and to go and uh, dip my feet in the water of coaching. And what was that? Can you remember the first session you ran or the first time you turned up somewhere to be a coach? Mm. Well, I used to help out with the reserve team at AFC Wimbledon, but it was more like a. Um, I, I would go in and train and coach as I'm training. But my very, very first session that I put on was I used to uh, coach uh, Roehampton University. So um, that was, I can't remember the, the, the very, very first session, but it would have definitely have been, um, it would definitely have been at Roehampton University, which was a, again, a really, really good and fun experience. At the time I was 23 and I was coaching people who were kind of older than me, but it was still a it was still a fantastic experience. So yeah, I can't remember the exact session, but it would have been there. At that point, how much of your coaching was informed by experiences you've had as a player? Every, all of it, everything, everything was. Um, which now I understand it was the is the is the wrong way. Um, because I got this happens a lot in coaching and, and sport because I got X out of sport I'm now going to coach you to get X out of sport but we're all different and we're all individuals and we all do things for for different reasons but um, it made me a really really good coach but I'm sure it also um, meant that I missed a, a few people out also um, but yeah all of it all of it came from old sessions that I have done and what I've learned from the um, managers that inspired me and what I'd also learned from the managers who, who who turned me off too so yeah I, I would say all of it at that time. And when when did you figure out that you wanted to spend more time coaching younger players or coaching children? Um, it really came with I, again I had I had time in my hands um, and I went back to my old primary school in Peckham um in order to as i said i was getting paid i didn't really need money at the time i just wanted to give back to to my community and to uh, the children who, who who looked like me so i went to my old primary school 
Um, and I just said, can I do some coaching after school uh, with your football team? They said, yes. Um, really, really fun experience. Enjoyed it a lot. Uh, had a good relationship with the children. Uh, then it moved from there. Okay, Carl, you're doing football. Can you coach the, I don't know, the netball team? All right, Carl, can you take some PE lessons now? And it kind of just, it kind of just went from there. Then my PE, then the head teacher left uh, the school and wanted me to go with her to um, her new school. And then I said, I've, I've got a fantastic relationship with these, with these children. I really, really don't want to leave, but I've got some, some friends who I play football with who might be interested. Um, and then I thought to myself, okay, maybe I can start a little business out of, out of this. And that's where, that's where Team Kickstart was, was birthed. I put one of my, um, one of my, one of my uh, peers from football into, into her school. And it kind of just, kind of just went from there. And when did you, I guess, when did you, when did you realise that you enjoyed it? Maybe not enjoyed it more, because I've watched you work, right? And I've seen the way that you talk to kids and interact with kids and the way that they respond to you. And I can imagine that you would be exactly the same with older players, with players in mm. their 20s, late teens, whatever. Did you make a conscious decision that you were going to do it with younger players and with children? Yes, I feel like the average person like me goes down the route of going to, goes down Josh's route in the sense of going into an academy and um, and, and training academy elite children. Um, whereas um, I had lots of opportunities to do that and, and lots of lots of clubs wanted, or a few clubs wanted me to do that. But um, I wanted to kind of, at that time, I wanted to get away from football. You know, I, 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 I uh, don't 100%... Um, I don't, not even 100%, I don't regret that decision. Sometimes I think what would have happened if I would have went into that environment, but um, it was something that I didn't want to do at the time. I didn't want to train um, or coach uh, in an academy setting. I wanted to be able to go into places and have real conversations with, with adults and in turn um, build trust and be able to um, help young children grow in many different ways, not just in a sporting context. Um, so probably from after I finished Roehampton Uni uh, uh, coaching there, I, I, I probably thought to myself, do you know what, this actually isn't something that I really want to do right now. Um, I enjoy working with children. Um, something happens every single day that makes me like my belly hurt laugh every single day, um, whether it's whether I'm laughing with the children or at the children, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. So yeah, probably probably around 24-ish, I realised I, I actually don't want to go down a youth football route. I would much prefer to be in to be in education. And, and what is it that you feel like you can provide children with or help children with at school that makes it the best place for you to be working with them? Um, one, because I can be the best version of myself and I can be my whole self and I can um, let the children know that I've got a book club. I can let the children know that I, I love sport, of course, because I teach you sport. Um, I'm a trained therapist as well, so I can work with children who are having difficult times. Um, whereas in a sporting environment, that wouldn't be something that I would be able to do. I'd have a very narrow role. And I'll, this is my this is my lane, and this lane that I kind of have to stick with. Whereas in an educational setting, they're always looking for an extra pair of hands to do X, Y, and Z. And 
um, I have lots and lots of different um, likes. So um, yeah, I just feel like you're, you're able to find a different sense of meaning in education and you can have a bigger impact on the, on, on the children's life. Because if we're, uh, if we're trying to, if we're trying to find meaning um, and we're, we're uh, looking at disciplines, we, we have to look at what the meaning is to the young people and what they're bringing in themselves instead of it being a very top down situation. I like to go from the bottom up and sit down and speak with the children and try to understand what it is that they like and what they enjoy, um, the things that they want to do in their own time. Whereas in a, in a, in a um, academy situation setting, it's almost, uh, instead of it being a, a, a ground up situation, it's a very top down heavy situation where here's what we're doing, let's go ahead and do it. Um, whereas in education, it, it's um, um, if you're in the right school, of course, it, it's, it's completely it's completely different to that. And my experiences have been completely different to that. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. When you, the, I guess a question on the back of that is when you say in the right school, what in your mind is, is the right school? How do, you, how do you know that a school is, is, a, is a good environment to be in? Um, it's a really, really good question. It's a difficult question. Um, ultimately you have ultimately you have um you have two choices in in, in education um the two choices are um academia academics is going to be our number one focus and we're going to do maths and english every single day and that's clearly going to be on the top of our list and um children can, they might not be able to articulate it, but they'll definitely be able to feel that you've placed your um, attention on English and maths. Therefore, that's the most important thing. Whereas the schools that I've been in and the schools that I've enjoyed the most have taken a more holistic, uh, uh, a more holistic way of learning and a holistic way of thinking. And we're thinking and talking about the whole child rather than just looking at how good they are at English and maths. Uh, the arts play a, a, a more bigger role, um, sport, PE, music, um, lots and lots of after school clubs, um, diversity in the after school club. So, um, yeah, that's the difference for me between um, a good school and a, for want of better words, a, a, a bad school. Um, yeah. And, and why primary school, not secondary school for you? Um, it kind of all, ultimately it was situational in the sense that secondary schools have already got PE teachers. Primary schools haven't got PE teachers. Uh, whereas um, secondary schools, people have gone to university to be a PE teacher and um, there isn't really a, a way in for, um, for a coach. Whereas in primary schools, the, um, you have one teacher that teaches you everything. And unfortunately, teacher training um, is lacking in PE. So often that is outsourced to, um, to, to a coaching company like myself. Um, so yeah, it was really, it was really situational. Now I can't see myself. I used to do workshops in secondary school and it was cool and it was fun, um, but I can't see myself working in secondary school. I love being around five to 11 year olds. Um, it really is, as I said before, there's, there's, nothing is the same every single day is different and it's, it's a really really fantastic environment and, and their, their age group is really really good to be around
you um you started to be a therapist somewhere in along this this timeline what what drew mm. you to doing that man it's like again i'm 35 sometimes my timelines and i i, I mix things up um i was probably about because i feel like because i've done I've, I've done quite a lot but um it was again it was situational um the um there's a guy called Mickey Bennett who works for the PFA. Once you've been a professional football player, you're a member of the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association for the rest of your life. Um, and they do lots of good things uh, for uh, footballers who have fallen out of the game or have retired. You have a pot of money that um, goes towards education. So um, there's loads of email. If I wanted my email today, the PFA in the last month or so would have probably sent an email out um, advertising some type of course. It could be, it could be anything. Um, so sent an email out um, advertising uh, a course. Uh, Mickey Bennett, who is the PFA's therapist, is also Jamie Martin, who I spoke about at Charlton with me. He's his uncle. Um, so he got in contact with me directly and said, we're doing a taster session at, um, I think it was at Mayerwell's training ground, or at Mayerwell's ground, um, come in and, and, and have a look at it and see what it's um, see what it's like. I know you work in schools, I know you've got your own business because I had, I had often kept a good relationship with the PFA and they also helped me um, or offered to help me um, moving my business in, in, a, in, a direct, in, a, in the right direction. Um, so they knew exactly what I, what I was doing. They knew I worked with um, young people. So they said, this could be another fantastic thing that you could kind of add to your business. Um, so I went to the taster session, really, really liked the environment. Um, and of course I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't have to pay for it either. Well, they pay 50% of it. Um, so um, that was kind of my, my, my route in. So there was nine of us, nine ex-professional football players who um, trained to be therapists at the PFA office. And it was a really, really changed my my view on the world and um, helped me um, understand myself a lot more understand people a lot more and really um makes me go into every single every single situation trying to understand things from other people's perspective rather than only my perspective and what 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 would you say is your perspective going into school every day what are your what are your objectives that you personally are trying to achieve over the course of a school day mm, um meaning um and again i think i said previously before if we're trying to find meaning um if we're looking at um, the disciplines we have to look at the meanings from the young people um and what they're bringing themselves and um of course it's going to be born out of the children's lived experiences um their cultural and their rate sorry my as i said before my um my computer Siri just when I'm talking, he just goes on a, on on, on <laughs> his own thing and started talking in my ears. Um, so really, just trying to I, I guess to answer the question in short, just trying to understand what it is that each and every single child wants to get out of their school day, and I'm just there to facilitate that. So it's it's again, it's not a top down heavy um, environment that I try to create in the sense of here's what we're doing, get along and go and do it really trying to understand what each and every single child needs and then trying to bring that to them uh i think i think the value of like team sports is is so so crucial and whether you go on to do it professionally like you did in your case or whether you're like me and you just liked it as a kid then you play it and play it and play it and that helps you build relationships and build a social circle and those sorts of things um are is, is obviously massive being in a school every day do you get the sense that 
you can still develop all the things that team sports gives you without doing it through sport? Are there any other means that kids have at their disposal on a regular basis that allow them to develop those things? Yeah. Um, it's a difficult question. Um, and, and probably my answer is, I don't know whether it will surprise you, you tell me or not, but um, team sports and sport is for a very small, um, narrow um, group of children. It's not, it's, it's not for everyone. I know sometimes we speak about sport and we um, say it's fantastic for social development, um, it's amazing, it builds resilience, um, and we kind of look at it as like the, I don't know, the, 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 the king of everything. Um, when in, in, in reality, that's for a very small amount of children. It's not for, it's, it's not for everyone. Um, so again, that goes back to kind of trying to find um, the children's meaning rather than me having my ideas of, of, of what sport, done, I said it before, sport done X for me. So I'm now going to coach or teach or train you so that you get um, the same thing that I got out of sport. That's not how I, that's not how I look at it. Um, our goal in, our goal in P and U sport, um, and I put the two things together because I, I don't really see any difference these days. So our goal is really straightforward. We want the children to get into physical activity. It's as simple as that. Um, I hardly ever come across a school or a department or, or a teacher um, that doesn't make some type of reference to um, lifelong participation. Um, and what we do in, in, in school is meant to set the children up for, for, for the long term and they're meant to reap all these wonderful benefits from, from, from sport or from, from whatever it is that you're, you're teaching. The reality is that no, no matter whose figures you... I read something on the World Health Organization's um, website and no matter whose figures you, you look at, um, there was a huge report in 2019 that looked at um, the activity rates in teenagers um, and it's, it's, it's depressing. It, it depresses me that like PE and sport um, isn't, isn't winning. Um, and the key part of the puzzle seems to be knowledge. Like we have to have knowledge. Uh, we have to have insight. Um, and it needs to be, as I said before, it needs to be about each and every person, not just a small group of people who uh, manage to um, be good at sport or manage to be good at football in particular. Um, so our solutions are typically in education or, or, or in the youth sector. We kind of just throw money at it or we throw programs, um, new programs at things. And these new pro programs are um, actually reinvented old programs that when you've, been in, when you've been in the environment for long, like I have, um, you realize that this program that you're, that you're putting in right now was actually just a reinvented program of, of something that happened um, 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, the, so let's just say, for instance, the, the invention for uh, programs, for example, to get girls to participate more in sport, which is, which is really, really important to me and something that I, uh, it, I hold close to my heart and I place lots of value on that. Um, we've seen all these programs before, but what, we, what we've never done is we've never really focused on the experience of um, of each and every young person um, and it's similar to I like to give the analogy of it's similar to McDonald's not knowing how many burgers they've sold or um, Apple not knowing how many um, phones they've sold or laptops they've sold they've sold so 
within my PE lessons, I really try to build uh, relationships with children um, that can inform me of how well each and every child is reacting to the lessons that I'm delivering. And I, I do that by having follow-up relationships, follow-up conversations, sorry. So I've done a program of whatever it, whatever it might be, team games. Um, now, have, have my PE lessons um, made you as an individual more inquisitive to now go and speak to your parents about your participation outside of school? Um, and I can, again, I can follow that up with conversations with, um, with children, and I can also follow that up with conversations with, with parents. So ultimately, our, our, our goal is to, um, to spark something in a child that enables them to find meaning around, um, around PE and sport, and then hopefully go on to find a discipline that suits them. It could be rock climbing, it could be skateboarding, it could be BMXing, it doesn't have to be team sport. So yeah, I hope that kind of in a, in, in a long way answered your question. And as I always do, I 100% forgot your question, but hopefully it, <laughs> hopefully it, it answered the question. Yeah, to an extent it does, which is that there's real tangible value on a child's development physically for them to be doing sport in a way that they enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I think, I think, I think definitely. The, to come back to the question, can a child get the things that often we lump in with sport, resilience, teamwork, communication, can a child get those things in a primary school environment in any other way than through sport? Um, yes, of course, of, of course they can, um, but it, it, it's hugely dependent on who the educator is. Um, it's hugely dependent on who the policymaker is. If you have a, a teacher who has a learning objective and um, they do anything they can to try and reach that learning objective, then it's probably, it's probably going to be difficult. But there are loads of things that come up in my PE lessons. And if I have a learning objective to, to enable you to be able to uh, volley in, in tennis and two children are having an argument and because I'm so um, set on reaching my learning objective, I just split the children up. Okay, Jonathan and Abdul, you two are having an argument. So Abdul, go and work with someone else and Jonathan, go and work with someone else because I really need to teach you guys how to volley. Um, I've missed a learning opportunity there for the children that's going to help them build resilience. That's not real life. There are situations in life where as adults we are put in and because we haven't learned the basic skills of communication as young children, we, we, we walk away and we avoid having difficult conversations. Whereas if Abdul and Jonathan, I think the name was, if I stop the lesson there and we all sit down and we have a discussion around what's this argument actually about? How do you feel that you guys can resolve it without using bad words? How do you feel you can resolve it with, um, with kind words? Is there anything that, um, Abdul, is there anything that you feel you have done? Because you're really angry right now. And where does that anger come from? Is there anything that you have done that you feel gave Jonathan the right to speak to you like that? So these things that happen and these things that occur in my PE lessons are much more important to me than me teaching a child how to um, volley a tennis ball because ultimately you're not going to be a tennis you're not going to be a tennis player like you're not going to be an elite sports person so I'm here really trying to help you become a better person and help you to try and navigate your way through um, these difficult situations so 
Um, if you have an educator who understands that and a teacher who understands that, then all of those things that we believe you can get out of team sport, you can get, you can get out of um, maths lesson, an English lesson, um, a PE lesson, whatever it is. That's a good answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does, it does. That, um, that question I find an interesting one, and I think it's interesting to ask you it because you were an elite footballer. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's so many people, I think, who've been professional footballers whose answer to that was, well, these are the things that got me here, so I'm going to do those things yeah, in the same way that you yeah. said um, previously about, like, coaches who coach a certain way. I think the, probably the most high-profile example of at the moment is Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard was a yeah. manager that hit Frank Lampard, the player, would have loved to play for. Yeah. But the players who are playing for him are not him, and they don't respond in the same way to him. Um, yeah, for sure. And that's, yeah, the, 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 the understanding of, the understanding that comes with working with so many children for such a long time um, is one thing, but the like philosophy, like putting together of learning objectives to go in and have like fundamental um, outcomes for yourself and for them every single day mm. is different. You can go in on it's, the first day you ever do that and, and want to work like that. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's, it really is, it's, it's, it's joined up thinking. And, and, and as much as I've um, praised um, a school um, system and a school environment and, um, and compared it to, uh, an academy environment um, there are also negatives also because we've um, we've been taking policy and practice from um, such a small cross-section of society for so long um, that's absolutely shaped what the vast majority of educators do um, and what the vast majority of educators teach especially in um, especially in PE um, and uh, the meaning attached to it the values attached to it you um, you only have to look at the national curriculum, so the um, the purpose of study in PE to it's like six or seven paragraphs. It's like two, six or seven lines. Sorry, two paragraphs, um, and that's highly problematic. Like it's hugely problematic in the sense that um, it's very gendered. It's very classed. It's 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 very raced. It's very um, it's very specific, um, it has a very specific ideology um, and it doesn't meet the needs of every single child. Again, it's a very, it's, it's a very, it's been written by a certain type of person um, and ultimately if it's written by a certain type of person from, who, who has a limited experience, um, life experience, then you're going to miss loads of people out. Um, it's a very top-down system, and I'm talking about um, systems like Ofsted, who um, walk around schools and um, spend two days in the school, and they have the power to tell you whether you're a good school, whether you're an inadequate school, or whether you're an, an amazing school, an outstanding school. Um, that's something that you can't you can't get that feel in a day or in two days, um, especially a school that places value in happiness rather than value in um, how um, good my, our, our children are, are at um, division or, 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 um, or, or 
or whatever it is, whatever theory it is you wanna you, you wanna put in there. So um, I'm I'm kind of tired of that right now. I used to form my lessons again. I've been a, a, a PE teacher for I started my business. 2011 and let's say 2010 because I was I was teaching maybe a year before that and all of my lessons would be used to be informed by what it says in the national curriculum okay how can I join up my lessons so that I hit a point in a national curriculum but all of those fantastic things that we spoke about that sport can do potentially and that a good educator can do there's none of those words in the national curriculum you know so uh, really um what are what is the national curriculum there for? What is this purpose of study there for? Um, seven, eight lines. It doesn't really. It, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, and I, again, I've been really lucky that um, my way of thinking, um, whether I've been, whether whether you can call it, I've manipulated people to to understand my way of thinking or to think how I think. Um, I've been very lucky that I've had um, head teachers who have who have trusted me and have given me time to. Um, to implement some of the things that really mean the most to me rather than just looking at um, does my learning objective meet the national curriculum for sure there's bigger learnings than than those two paragraphs you you mentioned and I think yeah for sure of course trying to, trying to pull those out uh, uh, as often as you can and use it like you said every moment every time there's an argument when someone's going to volley a tennis ball to teach out as a teacher for the moment um is is only going to be is only is only a good thing and i think look there's all there's loads of things that come up with that and you've got to figure you know you've got to think about how long have you got with these kids you're in mm -hmm. a group where you've got way 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 you know longer than most people would have if i'm just there with a group for an hour and my, my this is my one hour chance to, mm -hmm. to positively mm -hmm. impact their lives then maybe that looks a little bit different but yeah for sure if we're thinking long term this is the kind of change that we want to create then 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 i'm with you i think yeah, look, listen, again, as you said, I'm in a, I need to understand my privileges and I'm in a privileged position that um, I um, have longer than an hour with these children or um, I do and I don't. Of course, my lesson lasts an hour, but the relationships that I've been able to build will enable me to um, go and speak to parents after school, will be able to um, the next lesson, maybe pull that child out of or pull those two children out of the lesson and then have that conversation there. Now, if I if every time there was an argument, I stopped my PE lesson or a disagreement, should I say, or a debate, I stopped my PE lesson and um, sat everybody down and had that in-depth, real, um, emotional, meaningful conversation. I probably, I probably will get nothing done, and I'll be, I'll be sitting down, and I'll be a lecturer rather than a teacher. Um, but once you um, set the right environment for the children, and the, you've placed, I've placed my energy. Um, in specific things, the children now understand where my energy is, and those arguments are, are are less frequent. Okay, and because they're less frequent, it means that I can pay more attention to it. But also because they're less frequent, and I've paid more attention to it, sometimes it doesn't even need me. I don't need to facilitate that conversation. Sometimes I, I, whoever it is that's having this debate, sometimes it might need just. A, a sentence from me or a phrase from me and then now those children can kind of sort it out themselves and it might end up that Abdul and Jonathan can't work together that's life in in in, in the workplace right now there are some people who just can't work together um, but that's really a decision that's come from the children rather than come from me as an easy way out you know so 
Um, I do have empathy for for um, PE teachers who only have an hour with the children, but really where you place your attention is evident to the children and early on you have to place your attention in the right places and that's how you create good culture and how you create a good environment for the children to ultimately to be able to deal with these debates and these discussions themselves rather than me being there and having to ask so many questions which in turn stops other children from learning um so yeah mm -hmm. uh, final question do you think that the the environment that you're going to be most valuable in is always going to be schools or do you see yourself working in, in other places in the future? Um, it's a really difficult question. Uh, it's a really, it's, it's of course a really loaded question. And I can only answer that from my experiences. Um, I worked in a school called, um, now, and also it's, it's m most valuable. That's quite subjective because it, it valuable means different things to different people, doesn't it? Um, but I worked in a, in a, in a private school called Forest as uh as a, as a therapist, strictly as a counsellor, and I was working with children from six to 19 who were coming to me with anxiety, with depression, um, who were self-harming, um, and I found real meaning in that job, and I helped children get from one place, or young people get from one place to another through self-harming every single day to now I've seen Carl for six months I'm, I'm no longer self-harming I still have those thoughts but the action doesn't happen anymore um, so ultimately um, that is the the environment I guess is the most valuable um, use of my time if I can stop someone from self-harming stop someone from killing themselves stop someone from having depression then that is really really valuable but saying that um, I was also miserable too. I used to work at that school on a Monday and a Friday, and on the weekend I would think to myself, oh, it's not, I wish it was Tuesday, you know, and I never want to be in that stage of my life. So that helped me to realize that um, being a therapist isn't for me right now. That isn't, that isn't my, um, that isn't what drives me. That isn't what I wake up um, dancing to. I wake up dancing to going into primary schools um, and working with a specific group of um, children to um, help them to gain understanding of themselves, to help them to um, develop meaning um, in their life and to ultimately try and find their way in PE, physical activity, school sport, um, try and find their way within that system which enables them to um, develop purpose and hold on to that purpose for as long as possible. Okay. Thanks, Carl. No worries. Pleasure, bro. That's, uh, that's pretty good.